If you listened to episode one of Chingona, then you already know that this is a podcast run by four women, three of whom are Latina. We come from the southernmost tip of Texas, along the Mexican border. It's an area called the Rio Grande Valley. My name is Leah Juarez, and I moved to Denver in October of 2016. It was the first time in my life that I lived in a place where I was the minority, which is funny because all my life I was told I was the minority, but I never felt like it because back home, everyone looks like me. So in Denver, I live really close to this sandwicheria called Cuba Cuba, and I popped in for lunch with a friend one Saturday, and I kind of fell in love with its whole vibe. It was this quaint and beautiful place full of color and salsa music and people of color, and I sort of felt like I was back home because it reminded me so much of the little taquerias we have in the valley, which was nice because I was feeling just a bit out of my element in Denver. But in that place, inside Cuba Cuba, I felt a little more like I belonged. And that feeling is what inspired me to interview the owner. And then when I found out the owner was a woman, I was even more excited because I feel like the restaurant industry is still a male-dominated field. So in today's episode, we talk to Christy, the Cuban-American owner and operator of Cuba Cuba, Her mother was also visiting from Miami at the time, and we also got to interview her. And up until recently, she hadn't been back to Cuba in 57 years. So we talk a little bit about her experience with that. Also, because we're still so new to this podcasting thing, we pretty much broke every rule in the book. You'll hear the rustling of coats, some banging on the table, a bit of shuffling around. So I apologize if it's distracting. This episode also has a slightly different format. We took a page out of This American Life's playbook and turned this into more of an audio story rather than a straight-up interview. So if you like it or don't, let us know. We're still trying to find our sound, and this is all part of the process. I guess just to start off, kind of state your names mm-hmm. and what you do. Okay, in sure. Relation to each other. Sure. You want me to go first? You want to go first? You okay. Go first. <laughs> um, okay. So my name is Christy Socarra Bigelow. I opened Cuba Cuba Cafe and Bar in 2001 with my brother and my husband. Mm-hmm. Um, and operated. I manage and operate it still to date. Um, it's been open over 15 years. I opened the Sandwicheria five years ago and we started in Boulder. Um, that one's closed. We have four Sandwicherias throughout Denver now. Mm. Um, I was born in Miami, uh, but Cuban American, consider myself Cuban even though I was raised here in the States. Uh, raised very Cuban by my family. Grandparents are from Cuba, my parents are from Cuba. And lucky enough, uh, um, I was able to, well, I was raised in Miami and then I came here when I was 21, met my husband, ended up staying in Denver, and missed my culture so much that started doing research on how I could bring a little bit of it here. Mm-hmm. And that's what led to the restaurants. On the corner of Delaware Street and 12th Avenue in downtown Denver sits Gooba Gooba an island oasis in the mountains, as its Instagram says. 
The restaurant itself looks like a lot of the condos I'm so used to seeing on South Padre Island back home. It's a tealy blue color with palm trees lining the entrance. It's beautiful and tropical and looks like it belongs nowhere near a city. And it's actually a historical home. So the two houses are pretty spectacular, and when I found those, I knew it would take so long to get them up to date. They're pre-1880 homes, that when I signed on to it, I almost felt a sort of relief that I would have that much time to get mentally prepared for what I was doing. Well, so, like, what made you want to, oh, you said that you missed your, your culture. Mm -hmm. Did you have any idea, like, how to start a restaurant, how to do your own business and all that? Very little. I, um, I started working restaurants when I moved to Breckenridge when I was 21 years old. I started waiting tables at downstairs at Eric's, and I loved the industry. I loved it. Um, I wasn't the best waitress around, but I was good with people. That was my sort of forte. Mm -hmm. My timing always sucked. And uh, Eric, my, my boss, um, I remember at one point, he's still, we're still very good friends because he runs a bunch of restaurants up there. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember <coughs> one day he's walking by, you know, he was managing, and he's walking by, and... I deliver a basket of fries to the table and I sit down with him and we're talking and I pick up a fry and I eat it and he's like, Christy, what are you doing? And the, the family's like, let her stay with us. <laughs> so much fun, let her stay. And Eric is like, oh my God, what am I going to do with you? And when I went back to him years later, I used to see him all the time when I would go up to snowboard or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, I, he would be, you know, when I went up to him and said, do you think I can pull this off? He said, I, I think you can. I was very nervous, but I loved the industry. I was 21. I worked a year and a half up in Breck. I moved here to get my master's in social work, um, met my husband, mm -hmm. who's from here, um, and he said, give me a couple years, you know, and then I was like kind of desperate to get back to home, home at that time. And um, he said, give me a couple years and, uh, you know, we'll figure this out and we can move to Miami. And Christy said I talk started, of opening I, a Cuban restaurant began when she was about 23 years old. At the time, she was working as a family therapist with clients that suffered from drug and alcohol abuse. She worked with female gangs. She did this for about two years. Cuba Cuba opened when she was 27, but it was a long process to get to the grand opening. I would start thinking about when I would drive, where would it be? And it didn't exist anywhere. Cuban food didn't exist here, obviously, because we were still a very small city when I moved here. Mm -hmm. And there were probably four or five really hot boutique restaurants at the time. And um, so I started doing my research, my research, and every city that we went to travel to, Brian and I, my husband, we would, we would look at Cuban restaurants within San Francisco, Arizona, everywhere we went, we'd see, you know, seek out either Puerto Rican or Cuban or anything close, Caribbean. Mm -hmm. And um, I also had a really, really supportive boss in my, she was a very dear friend uh, who was um, sort of my mentor as a therapist. Mm -hmm. And she, would help me look, she knew Denver, I didn't. And she would help me look for locations and we'd go driving you know, during work hours and she'd help me look because she knew I really wanted to do this. And uh, I was petrified, but at the beginning it's easy because it's so far out, like you're looking for, you know, locations and I'm, you know, drying up menu ideas and I, I, I don't cook. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I would run front house. I know alcohol, I knew bartending, I 
tiny bit, hostessing, waiting tables. So I started putting together, like one of my good friends said, suggested, get a notebook and put everything in there so you don't start, have scattered papers everywhere. So I started doing that, all my ideas, all my ideas in there. Design ideas. Finally, I came up with a name when I was laying in bed upside down, like thinking about what, you know, what can I call this place? And I put a list together of like the few things that people in Denver would understand were attributed <laughs> to Cuban. And at the time it was Elian, which you guys are too young to know who he is. I remember, yeah. You do? Yeah. <laughs> Elian, um, Ricky Ricardo, Havana, you know, and then Cuba Cuba popped up in my head with like a palm tree, which ended up not, no palm tree, but, and, you know. I started doing it and then I found the location and there we went. You know, I found those two houses and they were incredible mm-hmm. and uh, felt like that was the way to go. But um, business, as far as business experience, I did not have even close to resembling anything. Uh, but ignorance is bliss sometimes. <laughs> it really is. Because the amount of work that it entailed, because it was a historical landmark, opening a restaurant, all that, um, it's pretty big time. And I, I had no idea what I was getting myself into, which was great. Um, and it's to date the best thing I ever did. Even though Christy had a strong support system with her husband and friends, it took some time for her mother to get on board with the idea of her daughter owning her own restaurant. My name is Maria Cristina Herrera, and I am Christy Bigelow's mother. And when she first told us you know, told me and my, my mother, which is still alive, she's 91 years old, she told us that she was going to, going to open a restaurant. Of course, we were not supportive at all. We mm. said, you are crazy. <laughs> You're crazy. You are going to smell, going to smell <laughs> like garlic and onions. Tell me, have you ever heard a better reason to not open a restaurant? It's like, wow, you make a compelling case. <laughs> and I said, my God, you're crazy. We all were. She said, you know what, Mom? was very determined and her husband was a very big support he also mm-hmm. said you know I believe in you and, and go ahead and do it so it was it was just so emotional I mean this girl when she first Cuba Cuba is a very very successful restaurant but I was there since I came here a lot where she first saw the two little houses and she had a big vision mm-hmm. it was a uh, it was it was in a in a location that was just just starting to 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 be, you know to, to get to get to blow up to mm-hmm. blow up and so the the first day I never remember never forget as as we opened the doors at five o'clock mm-hmm. I mean it was just so so successful I mean that it was packed mm-hmm. it was packed it was packed and since day that day it really has been which I have in a way you know at the beginning I always had a, and now I have accepted it I'm very happy for her but I had a little bit of a because she was the only one in the family that left Miami. Mm-hmm. I mean, we just, that's unheard of. Well, you're probably familiar. Are you Hispanic? Yes. Yeah, so you I'm know. the only one that's ever left yeah. Texas. <laughs> we don't my, know. My mom's the same way. Really? I mean, I'm not Hispanic, but she's the only one that ever left Arkansas. You don't leave. Yeah. <laughs> girls, Cuban girls don't go. You know, they don't exactly, leave. exactly. So, so, so you know what? At the beginning, I was, but, but I am very proud of her what she had done at the same time she, how she has she's raising a family she had three beautiful children i'm a little bit but they're great and um, she's a great wife so i'm very i'm very proud of her and um ask your mama no i am i am very proud of you i really am very proud of you so now it's your turn in 
the beginning of her entrepreneurship, Christy admitted that her doubts crept up on her from time to time. She was confident in her knowledge of Cuban cuisine and culture, but everything else was a complete foreign concept to her. So she enlisted in the help of family and friends. Her husband helped out with the business aspect, her in-laws helped finance the restaurant, her brother helped create her menu and train her chefs, and after years of preparation and research, all the pieces had finally come together. But on opening day, her fears took a toll on her. Day I opened, crawled up like a ball in my bed, nervous breakdown that night. I swear to God, the closest thing to a nervous breakdown. And my husband was like, what's wrong? I'm like, I don't think I can do this. He's like, it's too late for that now. That ship has sailed. We're open. And he's, uh, so I think after that first night, no more doubt after that. Mm-hmm. No more doubt. Second night, my brother almost had a nervous breakdown. Third night, we closed. Fourth night, we closed. Only time we ever closed, in con- like, without, you know, being a huge snowstorm or something like that in 15 years. Mm-hmm. Reopened on Tuesday, and Brian, my husband, to date, says it was as if you had two years' experience under your belt at that point with how much we grew in those three days, you know? Mm-hmm. What we put together, like, we just, you know, came together, my brother and I and my husband, and brainstormed and said, that's it, let's do it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't look back from there. That was it. Took my mommy's I wasn't quite ready, but it's amazing how you learn, how quickly you need to learn. Mm-hmm. If you're dedicated and you know you you're willing to take feedback from everybody, and you know, I also started working again at another restaurant here in town, and I was like with my notebook, you know, taking notes what I liked, what I didn't like, you know. Mm-hmm. I had a very dear friend here who owned a bunch of Cold Stone Creameries. She went to school with my husband. She was one of my first friends in Denver. She was a huge support. She was already a a business owner, Mm -hmm. um, and she was a couple years older than me. And she was one of the first people I confided in when I was going to do this. And uh, she was a huge support. And every time I started feeling a little negative, my girlfriend would be like, Chris, let's just get through this. Let's just get through this. I asked Christy if she had ever experienced hardships with the restaurant, specifically because she was a woman. She said no, which I was almost surprised to find out, but also relieved. Karen asked her mother, Maria Cristina, if she had ever experienced sexism in her professional life as a teacher and then a realtor. She also said no, except when it came to her family. I did have, I was one of my, in my generation was one of the first that went to, I graduated from UM, University mm-hmm. of Miami. And I remember my, my, grand, my grandfather who really raised me and my, my grandparents and my mom uh, telling me and my sister that teaching, teaching was the only, the only degree, the only degree we could, I mean, they made us feel that we could not do anything else or we were not capable. So I felt that with my family. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to be a teacher because uh, when you marry, your husband will not be upset because you're working as a lawyer or in an office with other men. That's how backward they thought. She's very machita. So very like machita. Ricky Ricardo, I love Lucy. Mm-hmm. This is a perfect example. That, yeah. You know, <laughs> and to date, you know, I would say that that is still prominent in, that's why I didn't marry a Cuban man. And I love my brothers, I had two Cuban dads, and I love the culture, and I miss it, and, and I miss, I love my Cuban men, mm-hmm. but 
I know that it would have been difficult for me because there's yeah. still remnants of that in a lot of the Cuban men, even of my generation. Remnants of it. Not everybody, no, but, but it's still not there. The, but not the same. Oh. No, I said they have pieces. Yeah, but still, that there's, there's you we've know, come they, a long way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 we've come a long way. So I felt that more than I, you know, I said, my God, why didn't we? Because we didn't take the opportunity. Because I really studied teaching. I didn't like to teach. <laughs> I didn't. I, ha I had to do it because I was married to her father, and we were both starting, and, and I had to work, and that's the only, the only job I knew how to do. And it was a decent salary, and I had my summers off, so I taught for many years. Then I did become a realtor, and that I loved. Mm -hmm. That I really loved. So um, I did, I never felt, I never felt, like you said, except my family. Mm -hmm. My family that were totally, you know, the only thing was that what was important was to get married, to find a good husband, mm -hmm. and to be a good wife. Who will provide for you. Who will provide for you and for your family. Mm -hmm. So that's, uh, you know, and then sometimes life changes and that doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. that, that, that person you married was supposed to take care of you, leaves you. Mm -hmm. but, and here you are. <laughs> and here I, I was with two children, my daughter and my other son, and uh, with a teaching degree and two kids, you know, so th that was the only time that I felt that, mm -hmm. you know. From your family, which, is, which is huge. Which is huge. Know? I mean, the most important people that really said, this is all, this is all you can do. Mm -hmm. this, this is it. You cannot, you know, just have no more, no dreams. So, so that was the only people that really affected me, mm -hmm. but, but not, not in any other way. It, it sounds like that line of thinking kind of stopped with you, though, because you taught your kids to be very self-reliant, probably because of your experience. Right? She did. She, I, I would say that she did do that. She did encourage that mm -hmm. big time. There were um, professions that she dissuaded me from going into, like, ownership, owning a restaurant. Because <laughs> she said that I actually mentioned it as a kid. I would talk about it a little bit, which was interesting because I was never into cooking, but, you mm -hmm. know. And, um, but... She did, you know, she encouraged me to, I remember I, ta I talked about law for a while and I talked about teaching for a while, she didn't want me to do that, <laughs> you know, I talked about psychology for a long time, what she liked, you know, so there were things that she definitely was like, you know, go for it, you mm -hmm. know, so you can provide for yourself, that, that was a big thing for her, mm -hmm. not so much like find the dream of whatever, but find something that you're going to be able to move forward with, you know. Mm -hmm. We recorded this interview back in February. And about two months before that, Christy and her mother visited Cuba. It was Maria Cristina's first time back since fleeing when she was 11 years old, during the rise of Fidel Castro's reign. He died in November 2016, leaving a lot of people with mixed feelings, Maria Cristina included. That was hard. That was hard. She prepared mentally. It took me a lot to... Actually, it didn't take me that much to convince her when I finally decided that I knew she was kind of ready to go. Mm -hmm. um, I went for the first time a long time ago, 15 years ago, before I had kids, and then I went back like six months ago with my best friends that are all Cuban-American like me. Mm -hmm. And then I said, Mom, it's time. And she was a little pissed that I'd gone back without her, but she had decided she didn't want to go back until the regime had, you know, was mm -hmm. kaput. And, but she decided, you know what, I want to go with you. I want to have the experience with you, and let's do it. And as soon as she said that, I bought the tickets. And so there was no going back. And mm -hmm. she, I think she would have gone back if I didn't. And, uh, and so there we went. And I called you about two or three days after, and I said, you know what? I don't think I can do it. I don't want to go. And she said, it's done. It's done. <laughs> I already gave you my, my card. It's done. So it was my husband, her stepfather, had been in Bayou Pigs. Mm -hmm. 
So he, he passed away four years ago. So, Which meant he was in prison. Right. Mm-hmm. And he was in prison for 18, prisoner, yeah. for 18 months. He was, he was 20 years old. And you know what? And he carried that since that, I mean, always, they always remained close. All the, 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 the men that went to Bayou Pigs as, as, as youth, as, as, as young, young, uh, young, young guys. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they were very against, you know, what had happened and what called Cuba. So I was kind of, and I said to myself, you know what? I don't know who, I think it was you, but somebody told me, I said, you know what, you have been, been you know, you had to leave your, your country, you had to leave your country, and, uh, and which I am very happy to be in the United States, I'm very, I'm very thankful and appreciative for they have, what, how, you know, they have taken us in, and, uh, and they said, but he's going to also control, he's also going to, going to control you and not being able to my mother now is 91. If she wants to go, she can go now. Mm-hmm. So it's, are you going to wait? How long? And you're not going to have the satisfaction, and the and the sadness, and the to be able to go back and see your roots, see your. So I said, you know what? I mean, my husband, I'm sure up there is going to forgive me because, and my family too. My grandfather, we all lost our homes, and you know they took everything from us. Mm-hmm. I said, you know what? I'm going to go with my daughter because I want her to see mm-hmm. my. You know, my, my where, where, where I was born. Experience so, it her way. <clears throat> exactly. So, you know, I, I prepared myself, and the hardest thing was going back to my house where I grew up. That was sad. But that was the only time that I really, you know, got very, very, very emotional because it was where I, where I grew up, and which was not at all. But she was with me, and she, and the people in the house were wonderful. It's not a high home anymore. It's a uh, like a nursery. They take you know little kids, like a like, like a daycare, day, mm-hmm. like a daycare, and uh, totally destroyed. But as mm-hmm. soon as I they they receive me with so much love, here comes the owner. I'm not the owner of the house. <laughs> I just lived here many many years ago. But it was just a beautiful experience. We just had uh, we did. We had such a good time. We had a great time, and uh, and I was ready. I was ready. I mean, I just took it in very well. I think. Very well. I thought I thought you were great. I was impressed. <laughs> I really was. And when, she was great. She had a great time, and people were loving her and the stories, and it was great. And like they they welcomed her with open arms, even though you know mm-hmm. she was Cuban from back then. Mm-hmm. Um, they can tell immediately when I when I first, of course, when I when I get when I see my, they see my passport, they know she's an American citizen. First of all, American citizen, of course, of course. I've been here 57 years, so they said, "Oh, you've never been to Cuba," and I said, "No, I haven't." were born. They said, my passport, I said, and I said, yes, and I haven't been here in 57 years. And the, and the lady that, you know, that mm-hmm. punches your passport said, well, bienvenido, welcome to your country. Aww. It was so emotional. Yeah. I mean, everybody was like that, you know, very, it was open arms. So I felt very good. It was very cool. Yeah, it, it was. Even though Christy had visited Cuba twice already, she was able to experience it a different way each time and came out with a new perspective following every trip. I'll tell you, it was, I mean, really interesting the first time, not at all what I envisioned. Mm -hmm. I got off the plane with my husband, who is super American looking. I actually have a very Cuban look. Mm -hmm. Um, 
the most out of my whole family except for Jorito. Jorito has. I probably look more Cuban than you. I do look more Cuban than you. <laughs> even though she made me, but I, I have more of a Cuban typical body. <laughs> yeah, you do. You, you know? Do. And so I got off the plane, and I, I hadn't opened my mouth yet. I have a very cute, thick Cuban accent when I speak Spanish. And mm-hmm. so I um, walked into the, I got into the taxi, and the taxi driver turned around and goes, Tu eres cubana, la ya. You're Cuban from over there. And my husband's like, Wow. <laughs> and he knew because he had been in Miami and he sees everybody and all that. But um, so I, uh, the whole time I was in Cuba, um, they actually thought I was my husband's escort. Really? Because at the time, it's changed in 15 years. Mm-hmm. But at the time, that was a huge method of making money for girls in mm-hmm. Cuba because they couldn't make money at the time. It was a really bad time for the economy when I was there. Not that it's ton better now but right. it was really bad and I guess there wasn't as much um, uh, the cops weren't as um, protective over it or they weren't the regime wasn't as strong to uh, you know strict or whatever you they know were the looking, they, were looking, they were looking the other way right <clears throat> and um, so they would come and they'd be like you you were there <laughs> they're here here there you know like the whole time I was there my husband couldn't even believe it and mm-hmm. um so everywhere, everywhere we went, he's like, everyone looks like you. He's like, fatter, skinnier, whiter, darker, you know, but they all look. And it was, it was such a great experience in that way when I was like, I was really proud that they thought I was like from the island. I look that Cuban that I was like, I knew that. I've always known that. My family's always told me that, you know, and all that. But um, it was crazy when I was at bars. They were they were charging me Cuban prices mm-hmm. versus my accent also to boot. And at the time, there were hardly any tourists. To boot. <laughs> you know what I mean? So they would be like, "Where are you from?" Because I dressed down. I didn't wear jewelry, you know, and all that. But they thought I was Cuban, you know, the whole time. Mm-hmm. And plus, I was with this like you know ultra American guy, and mm-hmm. that's what you know, that's what they thought. So it was pretty interesting. So I went back fast forward. You know, this time, which was six months ago, mm-hmm. I went with my three best friends, two girls and one boy, all Cuban American. And um, this time, I didn't fool anybody. It was so interesting. <laughs> this time, they were like, no, tú eres cubana, pero naciste allá. Uh-huh. You know, you were born there. You know, you were born there. You didn't have such a such a black and white comparison standing next to your husband. Uh, for them to, like, for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. True. And if they ever caught anybody Cuban, it was me mm-hmm. of the, the friends and Nini a little bit, but mostly me. And Susie, not as much. And Alejandro, my, my best no, friend, the guy, is like, he looks his blonde hair and freckles. <laughs> I mean, he couldn't look more American. But uh, even my Cuban friends that we've made would be like, you're Cuban here, mm-hmm. you're American there. So be very lucky. Mm-hmm. You know, like, don't forget for a minute because I'd be like, I'm Cuban. And he'd be like, you're American. You have the benefits. Mm-hmm. You don't even understand. I go, no, I totally understand. I don't want to be anything but really an American citizen. Mm-hmm. But I love my roots, so I can't help it. Mm-hmm. You know, I scream out that I'm Cuban. It's probably the first thing that comes out of my mouth. It's what I identify most with in this world, mm-hmm. for sure, is that I'm Cuban. And um, so um, this time it was great. This time I made a lot of friends. This time I spent time with a Cuban-American friend of mine that moved down there because she's actually working in the movie industry, doing independent films, kind of the go between L.A., New York, and Miami. Hmm. Um, so it's really interesting that she's able to do that. Oh, cool. And I had a lot of my Cuban friends saying, we're all trying to get off the island, and she comes in. Mm-hmm. We don't get it. Right. Because they're still trying to leave. A lot of my friends are. Some have already left. Some left right before Wet Foot, Dry Foot, you know, was, you know, X'd out. And, mm-hmm. um so, but this experience, that experience was great. That one, I immersed myself like sort of in the salsa world and I was dancing and we went out to restaurants and I met restaurant owners and, you know, entrepreneurs mm-hmm. that live in Cuba mm-hmm. that 
have been funded by either people in Europe or wherever and, you know, um, and are starting their own businesses, which is something I'm getting involved with now, too, oh, here wow. in the United States, which is really cool, helping entrepreneurs that are trying to open up their own things in Cuba and mm -hmm. trying to help them move forward. That's you know, amazing. sort of my give back. Um, it's called Emprende. So that was a super fun trip, super fun trip, like a party Cuba trip, like immersed in that culture, dancing till five in the morning and eating. And then I went to Viñales to see the beautiful um, scenery of the mountains and, you know, really felt just more immersed in that culture than I ever had, you know, mm -hmm. and also starting to see the differences between how I was raised and how my Cuban friends are mm -hmm. living. Christy said it was a huge wake-up call to see how the other half lives. A friend of hers told her he had been looking for baby food for a month, and that at one point they ran out of pampers and had to use cloth for months at a time. She explained that the running joke in Cuba is, if you see a line, get in it. You don't need to ask what you're in line for because odds are, you're going to need it anyway. It's hard. You know, I remember I was sitting in a restaurant at La Guarida, which is where Fresi Chocolate was filmed, a famous movie. And it's probably the first paladan, the first um, home transitioned into a restaurant. Mm -hmm. It's very beautiful. Um, and we were upstairs, and we were sitting, my, my friends and I, and then our friend Sandro came over and sat with us. And I was looking around because I was just admiring how cool the look was and the, and the view and the way they had it on this rooftop and the buildings were all like sort of, you know, all distressed the way that I kind of designed my stuff. Mm -hmm. And I said, God, this is so beautiful. And he grabs my arm and he said, please don't say that. He goes, original at best. Would you like to see that old lady right over there that's hanging her clothes from the clothesline with the window open because there's no air conditioning? Do you want to see the bathrooms where the cooks are so you mm -hmm. can see how we really live? Mm -hmm. It's like, don't romanticize our poverty. Like, yeah. that's what he was telling me. Yeah. You have said to And it, it, I felt, I said, I'm so sorry. I will never say that again. Mm -hmm. um, in my eyes, it's beautiful because yeah. I have the advantage of living in a, you know, somewhere where I have everything at my disposal. And to distress something is an art. Mm -hmm. There, it is exactly how they live exactly. all day, every day. So that was a pretty interesting sort of slap in the face for me. And then I went with my mother and that was a whole new experience, which was sort of take me back a little bit to my roots and the culture. You know, she'd be like, okay, now we're gonna go to the school. And I'm like, <laughs> now we're gonna go to the club. Okay, okay. Now we're gonna drive up and down the street for the 97th time of La Quince, the Quinta Avenida where I was raised. And look, 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 look at the park. And I think that's the tree, I think that, I think that's a tree I climbed, you know. We got the mom tour. No, I, yeah. big time. Big time. Maria Cristina said that visiting Cuba was a healing experience. And even though she has strong Cuban roots, she feels very American because she spent most of her life in Miami. Now, Maria visits her daughter in Denver as often as she can. Her visits are short and sweet, she said. And actually, when I contacted Christy for this interview, I was told she had just left Miami for about two weeks. I asked the manager of the Cuba Cuba in Glendale how I would get a hold of her, and he said, well, email is best. She's very busy, so if she doesn't respond, 
just keep bugging her until you get her attention. And do you have any like um, leadership advice for people who may be trying to start their own thing, even though they have not a lot of experience in it? I mean, have you learned any lessons along the way? No, you just got to be super committed. And if there's something, and I told my little brother this, George, who now is, you know, not so little, but it's like, find what you're really happy with and roll with it, but go with it. You know, you got to put in the time and the energy, especially when you're young. And I'm not saying that at 43, I couldn't do it. I could, but it would be more difficult. I have three kids and it's a whole different world. I don't have the energy I once had, mm-hmm. but you got to get yourself into the profession. The mistake I made as a therapist and as an MSW was I didn't go work in that field mm-hmm. before I went to school and paid for a degree in it. Mm-hmm. That was not a bright thing to do. Now with the restaurants, I worked in the restaurants before I opened a restaurant and I knew I loved it. And I worked in four different restaurants. So it didn't matter whether or not I liked the boss or the, or the, or the cuisine or whatever. I liked the industry. Mm-hmm. So I knew that was a good thing for me, a good fit for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, a, it's a lot of hard work, man. It's, it, it is. If, if you want to own your own business, you know, there is no, I'm going to chill at three in the morning when you get a call and you know, <laughs> you're sleeping too bad. You own it. Mm-hmm. You know, you get to a level where you have people helping you. And I do, I have a, like a group of people that are incredible and they are my partners in this, mm-hmm. you know, and that's the only way I'm able to balance it. Um, you get there, but I wasn't there for a long time. For two and a half, three years, I was working 17 hour days. Easy. Mm-hmm. I didn't care. It didn't bother me at all. Um, it's not to say that every person has to put in that kind of time, mm-hmm. but in retrospect, it's the best thing I ever did. It's the most fun I had. It was mine, you know, which is like how you guys are doing. You're putting this together, you know, as your project. Yeah. <laughs> there's something to be said about that, you know? Mm-hmm. And you gotta start small. You don't know where it's gonna be headed, but sometimes it's gonna kick some ass and sometimes it's not, and sometimes it's gonna suck. But, you know, if you can believe in yourself and what you're doing, and if you think it's a great thing, man, I say, you know, like put all your eggs in that basket or whatever that saying is, you know, yeah. like mm-hmm. go for it. And, you know, it's just like you see your goal, you got to go, you got to go, you got to go. Big thanks to Christy and Maria Cristina for sitting down with Karen and I, and my apologies for taking so long to get this episode out. I know I initially told you March and then April and now it's June. Anyway, all the music from today's episode can be found on freemusicarchive.org, which we will link to in the description. The only piece of music you won't find on there is our theme song, which was created for the podcast by my uncle Raul Garza. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We're at Chingona Podcast. Our website is chingonapodcast.com. Cuba Cuba is at Cuba Cuba Cafe on Instagram. Facebook.com slash Cuba Cuba Cafe on Facebook. And their website is cubacubacafe.com. The food is amazing, y'all. I had some delivered while I was putting this episode together, actually. Anyway, we hope you enjoyed this week's installment of Chingona, and we'll be back with a new episode in two weeks. Bye!